0: Hey, good morning everybody. Hello, hi. My name is Rena, and I'm a new member of the volunteer preaching team. If you, yeah, right? This is my first Sunday, so I'm, I'm, that's very kind, thanks. (laughs) I've been at River Heights for a while. If you've been at River Heights for a little while, you might know me as a worship leader here. I've been privileged to serve in worship arts for about 12 years now, and I'm excited to continue to grow in leadership and teaching in this new way. Before we continue on in our sermon series, I'd like to tell you a little bit about myself. I'm a wife to Brent. Get that picture up there. Wife to Brent, mom to Reardon and Merrick, and I'm a bandmate to the River High. You might recognize Justin from this morning in front and Joe on bass in the band, and I'm a solo musical artist as well. I spent most of my life in Minnesota except for a few years in Massachusetts when my dad was in seminary. I'm pretty close with my family. My parents, who are here today, are both retired and live in Moundsview. And, uh, let me put that next picture up. My brother and his family live in Minneapolis. This was all of us on Boxing Day this year. It's a good crew. For my job, I'm the community manager of a co-working space in downtown St. Paul called Wellworth. Members pay a monthly fee to use the space and amenities and work alongside other humans outside their homes. Can you put that next picture up, oh, you got it. Um, it's a beautiful space, but what makes the co working space great is the community. And the Wellworth community is awesome. In fact, my Wellworth community has begun to overlap a little bit with the River Heights community. A friend of mine from Wellworth <laughs> has been coming for a little while After an invitation from Justin, and I think it's super cool that he's been here for this series. Say hi to Joel, everybody. (laughs) When I was invited to join the preaching team, Pete had just introduced the theme that we'd be pressing into over the next three years, discipleship. That is, helping people to become more free to love God and love people. In January, we began a sermon series called Grow, in which the preaching team has talked about spiritual practices that can help us to do this. We've had wonderful messages on prayer, worship, and service, on life groups, confession, and Sabbath, and on understanding the Bible. If you missed any of these sermons, I encourage you to go back and give them a listen on YouTube or Spotify or on our website or on the River Heights Vineyard app. Lots of different ways to find these. Today, to close out our Grow series, I'll talk about applying the Bible using three simple, three simple questions and one bonus question. Please join me in praying as we begin. God, meet us here today. Speak to us. Give us ears to hear what you have to say. And stir our hearts to put it into action. Amen. So, applying the Bible... What does that mean? Last Sunday, Pete talked about understanding the Bible. He talked about what the Bible is, what it says about itself, how it points to Jesus. But what's the difference between understanding and applying? You could define understanding as perceiving the intended meaning of something, and you could define application as putting something into operation. So understanding is comprehending and application is acting some years ago I went through the pastoral internship and residency cohort program which is a mouthful so we call it PERC in PERC we explored our ministerial callings and giftings and developed practical skills and I grew and learned a lot one of our assignments was to create a discipleship group of some sort We were to think of a person or a couple of people that we could get together with on a regular basis and invest in their spiritual growth and development. I began a Bible study on the book of Psalms. A couple of friends and I met every Saturday morning at a coffee shop to read the Psalms together, discuss them, pray for each other and be in fellowship. It was so rich. We did this for years sometimes just our original crew, and sometimes as an open life group. I think there are several people here who have been involved in that in some way. I love it. My mom came too. I miss it, honestly. It was a good group. (laughs) In this group, maybe without consciously realizing we were doing it, we worked towards applying the Bible to our lives. When we would read a psalm together, we'd follow it with the same three questions each time. What does this say about God? What does this say about people? And what is this saying to you right now? Or what action is this calling you to? I'd like to read a psalm together and try it out right now. I'll read Psalm 28 aloud, and I'd like you to think about those three questions. Again, what does this say about God? What does this say about people? And what is this saying to you right now? Psalm 28 in the New Living Translation says, I pray to you, O Lord, my rock, do not turn a deaf ear to me. For if you are silent, I might as well give up and die. Listen to my prayer for mercy as I cry out to you for help, as I lift my hands to your holy sanctuary. Do not drag me away with the wicked, with those who do evil, Those who speak friendly words to their neighbors while planning evil in their hearts? Give them the punishment they so richly deserve. Measure it out in proportion to their wickedness. Pay them back for all their evil deeds. Give them a taste of what they have done to others. They care nothing for what the Lord has done, for what his hands have made. So he will tear them down, and they will never be rebuilt. Praise the Lord. For he has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord is my strength and my shield. I trust him with all my heart. He helps me, and my heart is filled with joy. I burst out in songs of thanksgiving. The Lord gives his people strength, he is a safe fortress for his anointed king. Save your people! Bless Israel, your special possession. Lead them like a shepherd. And carry them in your arms forever. So what does this say about God? Well, verse 1 says he's our rock. Verse 2 says he hears us. Verse 6 says he's merciful. Verse 7 says he's our strength and our shield, that he helps us and that he can fill our hearts with joy. Verse 8 says he's a safe fortress. Verse 9 says says he leads his people like a shepherd and carries them in his arms forever. This psalm's author, David, has a lot to specifically say about God here. Now, what does this psalm say about people? Well, we can feel alone. We can cry out to God for help. There are also people who do evil, speaking friendly words while planning evil in their hearts. In spite of this, like in verses six and seven, we can praise the Lord. We can feel safe with the Lord as our fortress and strength, and we can trust him to lead us like the shepherd that we need. And the final question we asked in our group, what does this say to you right now? Or what action is this calling you to? Maybe it's calling you to pray for mercy or protection. Maybe it's calling you to repent of speaking friendly words to others while planning evil in your heart. Maybe it's calling you to praise the Lord. Well, congratulations, you've just applied the Bible to your life today. When you go and do the thing, pray, repent, or praise, you've just taken your understanding and put it into action. You've applied it. Something else about me is that I love knowledge. I'm a collector of knowledge, all kinds of stuff. When my husband Brent goes to bar trivia with his buddies, I'm often a teammate in absentia, and he'll text me questions. Now, I know what you're thinking, but this is definitely not cheating. It's not. We've decided it's not cheating. Here are, here are a few questions that I've gotten from him recently, and let's see how you do, just for fun and imaginary points. So the first one, what city is home to skyscrapers with such nicknames as the cheese grater, the walkie talkie, the gherkin, the pringle, the can of ham, and the electric razor? Does anyone know it? London, London. yeah. How about a Russian three letter suffix that is the equivalent of English er, E-R? Anybody? Nick. How about, next one, a luxury brand that once sold harnesses for the carriage trade, Hermes. <laughs> and uh, what was the name of the band before Spinal Tap? No one? <laughs> the ans- My answer to this one was, ask Justin, I don't know. <laughs> I still don't know. Um, none of this is very useful knowledge. Maybe there's some way I could apply it, but I don't. Last week, Pete talked about understanding the Bible, how it gives us hope and encouragement, how it's full of wisdom that leads to salvation, how it corrects us, teaches us, prepares us, equips us, and more. This is useful knowledge. This is worth soaking up. This is good stuff. Without applying this collection of knowledge though, it just gets dusty in its display case. It's pretty to look at and think about, but it doesn't really do anything. I could read the Bible cover to cover every year, locate verses in record time, be able to quote passages perfectly and explain really difficult concepts. But if I don't put that knowledge and understanding into action, I'm missing out. I'm missing out on the richness of a fuller relationship with God, myself, and others. I'm missing out on God's blessings and his freedom. James 1:22 through 25 says, But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourself. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like, glancing at your face in the mirror. You see yourself walk away and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free and you do what it says and you don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. God's word is meant to be followed and acted upon, not just read and appreciated. When you put it into action, when you apply it, It can change your life. As we read in our Psalms group and answered those three questions every week, and as we did the things, I changed. The way I saw God changed. The way I looked at myself changed. The way I related to other people changed. Week after week, we looked specifically for what a Psalm was saying about God. Week after week, we listed attributes and characteristics of God to each other. And week after week, my understanding of God grew. For example, there were several weeks in a row where the image of being in a boat on high seas kept coming up. We talked about being in the trough of a wave and not being able to see over the swell, not having hope of the storm ending, and not being able to see land. And then we talked about God and how he has a higher view and can see even when we can't. And we prayed for faith, and we prayed for strength. Now, that image of God above the waves comes to my mind easily, and in times of disquiet, it gives me hope and peace. Application sometimes looks like prayer. I want to pause here and say that if you're feeling like you're down in the trough of a wave and the storm isn't ending and you can't see land, God sees you. He knows you and he loves you. He wants to rescue you. We can have faith in God's promises and we can have hope when it seems hopeless because of Jesus. I'd like to pray for this right now. God, for those of us who feel like we're at sea, help. For those of us who can't see how this gets better, help. God, we know that you can see above the waves. You can see how this can work out. Give us faith that you have us. Hope in your rescue and strength when we're worn down. Give us your peace, God. Amen. I knew i do things. Oh, sorry. As we looked week after week at what the Psalms say about people, a couple of interesting things came up. First, we recognized ourselves in those ancient texts. For as easy as it is to get mired in our own situations right now, we're not the first people to feel loss so keenly the first people to be afraid, the first people to experience love or joy. We're not the first people to be betrayed or to burst with praise. In our group, we said to each other over and over, this is not new. Up there, That's Emery, Tabby, me, and our friend Dawn. This resonated so deeply with us, we permanently put it onto our bodies. So that's a really practical life change right there. Uh, this connection with God's people in ancient times is grounding and encouraging to me. It helps me to realize that I'm not reinventing whichever wheel I'm confronted with, so I don't have to stress about that part of it. Not to say I don't have stress, but I don't feel cosmically alone about it. Applying this idea of this is not new to all kinds of situations encourages me and gives me hope. To get kind of meta about it, This is not new, is not new either. Ecclesiastes 1.9 says, history merely repeats itself. It has all been done before. Nothing under the sun is truly new. The book of Ecclesiastes is a part of Bible's wisdom literature. So it seems like we were on the right track. Another thing that came up as we talked about the people question was about being the main character Have you heard of main character syndrome? It's when you identify as the protagonist in your own life story, and everyone else is more or less a supporting character. Most of us probably don't do that all of the time. Maybe some of the time. I don't know. When reading the Bible, it seems even easier to do this. It's easy to put ourselves into the story as the hero. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm not always the hero. I am not always the good guy. To check myself in this, as I read scripture, I often ask myself, how am I like the villain, the wicked, the oppressor, or the fool? Going back to the example of Psalm 28, how might I speak friendly words to my neighbor while planning evil in my heart? This exercise has helped me to lose some blinders and perhaps look at myself more objectively. Application sometimes looks like repentance. The third question, what is this saying to you right now or what is it calling you to, is more obviously an application question. The same passage could say something different to you tomorrow than what it does today. Sometimes we need to hear different things from God, right? And the same passage said different things to each of us who met on a Saturday morning. Before each meeting, we prayed for the guidance of the Holy Spirit in our study and discussion. We wanted to hear what God had to say to us and be open to what that meant. Jesus told his disciples about the gift of the Holy Spirit in John 16, 13. He said, When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. When we read our Bible, understanding and application aren't all just up to us and our abilities. We have the spirit of truth to help guide and teach us. Today, as I read Psalm 28, the spirit is guiding me to praise the Lord. When I praise, as a result, I'm applying the Bible. These three questions help us to apply the Bible to our lives today. To recap, they are, what does this say about God? What does this say about people? What is this saying to you right now? Or what is it calling you to? You can do this with any passage. If you run into one that seems hard, pray and ask the spirit to guide you. He is our helper and teacher in the spirit of truth. This type of study can be simple and rich, and I encourage you to give it a try. I mentioned at the beginning that there was a bonus question after the main three. That's because as I was preparing for this sermon, another question came up that we didn't use as a part of our psalm study. I'm still discovering new ways to study and apply the Bible too. So here's your bonus question. How does this passage point to Jesus? Or what is the underlying story of redemption here? We've talked before about how the whole arc of the Bible points to Jesus. Pete mentioned that in his message last week too. So what does this passage say about Jesus or the message of redemption? This question is a little chewier. It might not seem as clear at first. Bonus questions aren't always easy in my experience, but can be very rewarding. I won't give you an answer on this one. I'll leave it to you to ponder. I encourage you to sit with it, pray about it, and listen for the Holy Spirit in your study. I'd like to invite you to stand, and I'll ask the worship team to come up as I share some tips for you for the week ahead. Our tips are usually in the form of a read, a pray, and a do. So our first tip, read any psalm you like. Read Psalm 28 again, if you're not sure. Pray. Pray for the spirit to guide your study. He is our guide and teacher and the spirit of truth. And do ask those three questions, plus a bonus, and see, if, see how you're led to application. We'll close our service now with a time of worship, ministry, and communion together. If you're on the prayer team, would you come forward now as well? During these next few songs, I invite you to come and get prayer for any need that you have or for any prompting you may be feeling from the Holy Spirit. If that idea of being in the trough of a wave spoke to you or feels like that might be you, come forward and get prayer for that. God wants to meet you there there's any other need that you have, anything else on your heart, come forward and get prayer. These folks will pray good things for you. When the worship team introduces communion, I also encourage you to consider that invitation to the Lord's table anew. Sometimes we can hear the same thing over and over again and it can, it can lose, lose something. So think about that too, what that invitation is. The worship team will dismiss us when the service is done And if you're visiting today, I'd especially like to meet you at the Welcome Center after the service. Let's pray together, and then the team will lead us in worship. God, thank you for meeting us here today. Thank you for your presence here right now. Come with more of your spirit now and this week to guide and teach us, especially as we read your word and look for how you would have us apply it open our eyes and hearts to you. Amen.